For years, people have sought for a secret, the secret of knowing God's will for your life. For a period of about 25 years, people talked about God's perfect will versus his submissive will. And I loved how they could divide up the mind of God and what he desired. But I've realized that there's always a purpose behind everything God creates, just as there's a purpose behind everything that we create. And we are made in his image, so therefore we understand something about what God does. You know, there's a purpose for inventing electricity, thank goodness. There's a purpose for inventing the printing press. There's a purpose for creating the cell phone. Amen. I heard one while ago. A cricket chirping. And the internet. All those things had a purpose and a reason. Someone didn't just happen upon this and then leave it laying there for someone else to develop it. And when we invent or create, we are in the image of God creating as He created. Yet God's purpose for us is much greater than our purpose for the things that we have created for. Many things that began with good intentions ended up in the hands of evil people and caused more destruction and sadness than they did joy. God creates for a reason. He creates us in His image because He wants us to look back on Him and worship Him. The greatest act of worship you can ever perform is for God to look at you and see the image of His Son in your life. That's what He's looking for in you. And we need to be obedient to God in every sort of way as we seek to follow Him in all that we do because God has the perfect will for us and He will fulfill it in us if we'll trust Him. It's hard for some people to do that because they like to have control. They want to have the, the, the decision in their hands of where they would go and what they would do. You know, God cared so much that when Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, he already had a plan that they would not be totally and absolutely lost. You see, really, all we are when we're born are sinful creations, tainted with sin generation after generation. And the reality is, without Christ, we would be hopeless and helpless. Our life here on earth might have some joy and some peace, but at some point we would begin to look into eternity and we'd be fearful. And I'm so thankful that because of the gift of Jesus, as we look into the future, we don't have to be afraid. God's divine purpose for creating man is clearly revealed to us in the story of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because one day we will be joined together in a wonderful relationship that will last forever. We won't be individuals roaming around trying to seek God's will, struggling with temptation, trying to avoid all that we see in the world that is just absolutely obscured and torn with sin. The day will come that we will be together as the body of Christ, with Jesus, worshiping our God forever. It's hard to imagine that, but the reality is we must do that. The Holy Spirit within us demands that. 
We cannot be at peace in life unless we fulfill our destiny here, and it's that worship. So I want, I want to look back at the beginning and think a little bit about what we need to do to embrace God's perfect will for us. The first thing I want you to realize is that Satan delayed the fulfillment of God's purpose. But that purpose was not destroyed. It was just delayed. Satan has a way of confusing us, leading us away from truth, deceiving us. We will listen to his voice of temptation so often. When you're young, that voice of temptation may come as an ad on television that has the most beautiful meal that you could ever eat in all your life. And then you succumb to and buy into the thing that maybe food is where happiness is. As you get a little bit older, you start looking at toys that other people have. They've got a bigger boat than you've got. Their motorhome can carry more people than yours can. Oh, they've got a, a place at the beach that's on the beach, not like yours that's off the beach. All these toys lead us astray. They bring complications into our lives. They are things that can be there, and we can use them for a blessing, but they can't be an end in themselves. Or if they are, we will get wrapped up into their possession, caring for them and taking care of them, and soon we'll realize that, that we're not in control. They're in control. I really believe that God wants us to be vessels that transfer to others hope and help, to bless people. To give them something that they have never received in their life before. Not just hope and help through Jesus Christ, but getting involved in their life. As one friend of mine says so effectively in Georgia, he says, I want to invest in people who are getting closer to God. And he does that so well because his father did that. And there's a reason why his father, who didn't finish high school, ended up the first billionaire in the state of Georgia named Truett Cathy. He just ran a little second-rate grill called the Dwarf Grill in Hateville, Georgia, and he turned it into a billion-dollar industry because God knew that he was blessing others through that. Truett Cathy didn't just touch the lives of a few folks or a few hundred. Literally, tens of thousands of young people have gone to college because of him, who've had an opportunity at a better life because of him. They've received discipling because he insisted that when they worked for him, they had to have a mentor guiding them in the faith as well as in their career. God gives us opportunities like that. And the reality is, as Truett said one time, Satan can come in and he can muck up what we're doing. He can delay it, but he can't destroy it. He can get us distracted, but he can't cause us to forget where we're supposed to go. He said he can involve us in his schemes, but he never can devolve us from our faith. And that's why it's so important that we follow after that. You know, when Adam lost his authority and dominion, Satan was guiding him away. He was very skillful in oratory. He was able to take the very words of God and use them to deceive Eve. And then she led Adam 
and they both fail. Be careful the voices you listen to and how they speak. Satan speaks through many people. We know from the other Sunday that Satan can even speak through one who's a child of God. Simon Peter spoke the words of Satan rebuking Jesus. Thinking that he was being righteous. But he soon found out he was being used by evil. Not possessed by the devil, but used by the devil. We've got to be careful in our life what we do with our life. Is Christianity something that you do occasionally? Is it something you do every, maybe once a month? Is reading your Bible something that happens only when you're bored? Or there's nothing else to do? You know, I had a friend many years ago that would paint. She was... Uh, a very, very wonderful oil painter. And she knew how long she could move away from the canvas and then go back and work on it and still know what she was doing. She painted from memory. She didn't paint from a, 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 a picture or photograph or even in front of the scene of something. She would paint from memory. And one day she shared with me this. She'd been painting for over 70 years, and she told me, she said, you know... Your walk with God is a lot like painting an oil painting. She said, if you stay away from God too long, you forget where you were going and where you left off. And she said, let me show you. And over in a closet in her, her art room, she had about nine paintings that were half finished. She said, I really forgot where I was going. And I lost interest, and I put them away. The reality is, as a Christian, you don't need to back away from God. I salute those of you who are here today. You've, you're back from the, the pandemic. And I salute you because you stayed connected. You did not lose touch with the church. You listened to us uh, either over the radio and Alex FM or you listened through the, or, and watched through the live streaming. You learned right away you couldn't do both at the same time. Because I looked at that one Sunday when I was away, and I think Dr. Gunnels was preaching for me. I tried to do that, and it was like watching one of those Godzilla movies when I was a kid. It was just, just not in sync quite right. But you stayed with us. You didn't give up. You were faithful. You did not let the situation currently hinder you from your walk with God. And God has honored that. Satan may have delayed fulfillment for some things, but he did not destroy it at all. We continue to follow God. Satan will always deceive. You know, I, when I listen, and mostly I listen on my phone, I don't have cable TV at home, but I listen to what some of the, some of the leftist utopians who are atheists proclaim for America today. It's frightening. If you listen to them, you can figure out really what they're saying. Because, you see, Satan wants to destroy what God has made in every sort of way. The basis of humanity created by God is the family unit. It is the most significant thing that God created in this world. Because remember that the family unit mimics the relationship of the Trinity. And God, through the family, works in a mighty way. 
I can remember in the 60s when people began to criticize the idea of a father being the head of the household, and some people got distracted. Being the head of the household did not mean that he was the boss and, and, and he could literally rule over everybody. No. He was ruled over by Christ, but the reality is he had to be like Christ. He had to be willing to die for his family. He is the one that answered to God for the growth and the spiritual nurture of the family. Yet they've destroyed that. The family has been ridiculed. Now everybody's on their own in the world, and it's frightening. God created two genders. Politics created 400 others. There's only male and female. God made male and female for purpose. He outlined it in Genesis very clearly. But Satan is attacking that. And we've got to realize God creates us as he creates us for a purpose. Remember of the, young, the story of the young man born blind? And the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus. They said, who sinned to make this child blind? Do you remember what Jesus said to them? He absolutely turned them on their heads. He said, that young man is blind to the glory of God. What he meant was, he was not hindered from glorifying God in his blindness. I'd read that story and studied it years ago in seminary, and it meant so much to me, but it meant so much more when Tommy Ray explained it to me one day in this room about her blindness. You see, something becomes a hindrance or a handicap when we allow it to be. But we can glorify God in our life if we're willing to be that person. You know, there used to be an attitude of humility that we followed, that Christ had, and now there's a sense of arrogance. Have you noticed that? Suddenly people standing in front of a teleprompter facing a camera are geniuses, and they know everything. When I look at some of the experts that we've had presented to us over the years, it's terrifying to think that we've actually allowed them to have a voice in our mind to listen to them. Don't ever let anything that is electronic, please hear me, don't ever let anything that is electronic speak more loudly than the Holy Spirit in your heart. If you were doing that, and I don't care if that electronic person is a so-called preacher, or evangelists, or whomever. The Holy Spirit is to be the most influential voice in your life. For then and only then can God communicate to you the truth that He wants you to follow, this, this particular. Now, in Scripture, you get very, very unique generalizations about life, but you get your particular directions that you need through the Holy Spirit. But you've got to be in tune to hear what he is saying. It's sad that we've fallen into a state of disrepair, humanly speaking. And we've forgotten the importance of forgiveness and freedom that we receive from Christ when we forgive. You're released from bitterness, and, and bitterness is something that will eat us alive and will go with us the rest of our lives. Nothing is more like cancer in an emotional way than bitterness in an unforgiving spirit. But it seems that in our society today, victimhood and bitterness 
is Satan's number one tool to divide, to divide families and communities and cultures and generations. And we've got to understand the power of forgiveness. Not just forgiveness for the person that's bitter, but forgiveness to the person who's bitter that hurts us. Because maybe the only image they see of hope is in your life when you refuse to retaliate. I've watched good-meaning Christians who thought that, that God had sent them out with a sword and armor to slay somebody that believed the wrong thing. I remind you of this. The person who's the greatest distance away from truth is the one we are to go after for Christ's sake because he died for them. And they've drifted the greatest distance away. We made the mistake when I was very young of trying to keep cows in a three-strand barbed wire fence. You ever tried to do that? We, we made the mistake of putting Angus cattle in there. They don't care. Three strands is nothing to them. We spent a lot of time out trying to get cows up. Have you noticed how cows seem to love grass across the road from where their fence is? And if you ever try to move any, any Angus cattle across the road, they just, they don't drive like a car. And I can remember the frustration and the anxiety when I was young, trying to get them motivated. My brother and I thought somehow we were going to hurt them like they did on TV. We'd watched enough programs. We knew what you did. You yelled and you cracked a whip and it didn't work the same on our farm. My dad could come down there with a bucket of sweet feed and every cow there would ignore us and follow him. We need to learn that lesson when we reach out to people who are hurting. We don't need to berate and attack them. We don't need to ridicule and criticize them. We need to love them. We need to be, as, as God said, a sweet-smelling savor. Something that draws people's attention to what is real. It doesn't take long to figure out what doesn't work in life. A lot of people go through that at a very young age, and they need someone there to love them. But secondly, I want you to notice this. God reveals his provision to deal with sin very well. Law, the law. See, the law is just a standard that's set that says this is absolutely what is right and anything outside these parameters is wrong. There's a picture that's floated around the internet for ever since there's been an internet of an interstate that was built in Louisiana and somehow they got their bearings wrong and when it met it was off by about four feet on either side and yeah, I look at that and I realize somebody didn't have a standard to go by somebody didn't constantly work on what was there because if they could take a railroad from the west coast and one from the east coast and they could meet perfectly right spot on surely they could have built in modern times a bridge that would meet in the middle correctly but sometimes when we don't look at God's standard, that's what we end up with. And it's called sin. It's when things don't add up. We think we can blend a little of our desires with a little bit of God's desires and it'll be okay. It doesn't work that way. There's a reason why God has standards and limits us 
from certain situations. God knows our weaknesses. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in, the sight, in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. No standard will ever save us. Only Jesus Christ will save us. But lastly, I want you to realize this. In his death and resurrection, Christ restores God's purpose within us. God's purpose is still there. I led a man to the Lord and baptized him, 87 years old. And he said this before he was baptized. He says, I want to hold this whole congregation to hold me accountable that for the rest of my days, I will do everything I can to make up for what I've lost in my earlier years of foolishness. That man was a soul winner. He challenged church members who were complacent to come back. People who had been hurt, he said, let go of your hurt. What's more valuable, eternity with Christ or holding on to hurt that limits you to, to being such a small person in his, in, in his presence? He was active in everything he did. He died on the doorstep of a man he was going to win to Christ. He made a commitment that he was not going to let God's purpose be lost in his foolishness. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death, but he didn't do that just for himself. He did that to save us. This was planned long before we sinned, long before we were born. God made a plan to rescue us because he loved us just that much. I grew up hearing the story of the Scopes monkey trial up in Cleveland, Tennessee. It was a big deal a century ago. William Jennings Bryan, a man who had run for president several times, who was a remarkable orator, an amazing Christian man, he felt that he was a defender of the faith before the world came up head-to-head -head with one of the meanest, nastiest lawyers that ever lived, Clarence Darrow, an atheist, alcoholic, cigar smoker. They always added that back then. And he absolutely loved to challenge people. He was big after the trial to debate folks that were, were Christians, and he, he said, I can decimate your idea of faith. And it worked pretty good until... One day, he went to a church in Chicago. The church was comprised of lower-income black families that lived there in the area and worked in the mills that were in that part of Chicago. He was invited to the debate. He came in there, and he met all the people, and immediately they said he knew something in his heart wasn't right for him. What he felt was the Holy Spirit surrounding him. He stood up and he began to do his usual attack of the Christian faith. He tried to play on the emotions of the congregation there. And he talked about how they had suffered in their social misery and how they were overlooked. And don't they understand that, that the people that did that to them were folks that went to church and claimed they knew God? 
He said, remember, slavery was justified by Scripture. After a while, the people were not moved. They looked at him. Many of the women there knelt and prayed for him. In one moment of eloquence, Clarence Darrow said this. He said, I don't understand it. You sing such great music here. I have heard you singing here today amid all the woes of life. How can you sing being oppressed? And one of the little ladies in the back stood up immediately. She said, why do we sing? What do we have to sing about? She said, young man, we've got Jesus. And nobody can take that away. She said, we've lost everything else. But the one thing that we can't lose, we have. And that's Jesus. I don't have to tell you that after everybody shouted amen and began to sing, Clarence Darrow walked out and he never debated again. Because he came up against a force that demonstrated that faith in Christ and a walk with Him was more powerful than anything this world can unleash. Money can't replace it. Power can't replace it. Prestige can't replace it. Position can't replace it. Education certainly can't replace it. No, when you've got Jesus, you've got everything. And when you leave today, Remember that as you go out into the world, as you were going, two out of every three people you pass don't know this Jesus. And we're not asking you to perform a miracle. What we're asking you is to allow the miracle-working Holy Spirit within you to share. Find a moment of peace and satisfaction plant a seed and it's incredible what God will do with that seed let us pray Father God I thank you so much that in your holy word you promise that what we give out in the way of hope will not return void it has a purpose it has a reason your Holy Spirit will guide us and direct us and that seed planted will bring forth fruit. Therefore, we must share. But Father, before that, this, this morning, I want to think about why we don't share. I pray, Lord, that we're not so selfish that we forget about the needs of others, for you've been so good to us. I pray that we don't find ourselves in a situation where we think once we've come to know you as Savior, that's all that matters. The greatest expression of love that we will ever extend to anyone is sharing Jesus with them. And I pray that this morning someone in this room would make that commitment in their heart and their life. Lord, you've got us through a tough time. It's been a year. And we've not all been together. But now you're bringing us back. And may we understand the importance of the work that we do from this point forward. It's so necessary. It's so powerful. 
Lord, speak to someone today that, that needs to make that commitment in their heart of hearts to begin to share their faith in a realistic way. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to come forward and, and make a public statement of their faith, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would guide them to do that. If there's one here today that needs to come and join this church or possibly needs to follow through on their commitment to you and be baptized, Father, speak. May those who you speak with respond in the affirmative. Lord, bless us today. May we be your people. And may we carry out your work in this world even now. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.